Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. We're going to finish out chapter 6 this morning as we talk about the danger of lip service, the danger of lip service. Luke chapter 6, approximately... 680,000 people each year with anticipation stand each year with their right hands in the air proclaiming, I thereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state or sovereignty of whom or which I have before been subject or citizen." that I will support and defend the Constitution, the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Now, in repeating these words, they swear allegiance to the United States of of America. People from all over the world clamor to our shores in order to become citizens of this country and experience the blessings and the rewards that comes from it. The basic principles of the U.S. citizenship embodied in the oath of allegiance include supporting the Constitution, renouncing all allegiance and fidelity to any other foreign powers, to supporting and defending the Constitution and the laws of the United States, bearing true and faith allegiance to the Constitution and the laws, uh, bearing arms on behalf of the United States in case of war, or performing non-combative service in in the armed forces if called upon, and performing work of, na- of national importance under civil direction when required by law. These are just some of the things that the oath requires. Now, the majority of those who swear allegiance do so with utmost respect and gladness, with joy at the opportunity to become naturalized citizens of the United States. But what I find odd as I was looking at this is that that oath is never required of anyone who is born here who automatically become citizens because of where they're born or who their parents are. Unless you join the military, the police or fire service or political office, you could go your whole life with ever, with ever out taking this oath or even hearing it. That may be one reason why we see such dismal attitudes towards the ideals and the principles of the United States and the Constitution. It's no wonder that singing and standing with your, with your hat off during the national anthem is no longer fashionable or politically correct. It is more popular to complain, to diss or rail against our country than to support it, even while acknowledging that it is not perfect, but the best of what we have. Now, this is not meant to be a political message this morning. However, in sharing that, there's a great analogy of the expectations and the requirements of a citizen of the kingdom of God with the kingdom of man that Jesus is promising or pronouncing. Now, over the past several weeks, we've been exploring the second sermon of Jesus that's recorded in Luke, the Sermon on the Plain. In it, Jesus has been directing his words towards the disciples in particular. And though there are others that have flocked towards him, he's zeroing, zeroing in on them. In this sermon, Jesus prevent, or presents his manifesto of the kingdom of God. And it's a topsy-turvy one in which it, it turns everything on its head. It goes against worldly uh, cultural and worldly ways of thinking. The kingdom of God is going to consist of radical generosity, servant leadership, 
peacemaking, forgiveness, and discernment. Now Jesus is about to finish telling his disciples that as sons of the sons of the Most High, that they are to imitate their Father who is in heaven by demonstrating kindness and mercy to those that hate, abuse, and malign them. And as children of God, they are expected to surrender their rights to retaliation and revenge and, rep- and reparation. In addition, they are to abandon all judgmental and condemn- condemning attitudes and behaviors. And instead, they are to demonstrate generous forgiveness to others through the use of biblical discernment. He warned them that first, though, they need to use that skill of discernment upon themselves and understand that their heart, that the heart determines our actions and behaviors. Now, as we continue in his sermon, Jesus calling his disciples, as we see, to a higher standard of conduct and attitude that befits those that are citizens of the kingdom of God, those that are sons of God, those that profess Christ. And to enter the kingdom, one must have a new heart that comes as a gift through the Holy Spirit. And these new attitudes and actions are proof and and evidence that one has been born again. It's that proof is in the pudding phrase that we've been looking at. It shows that one is a genuine Christian. The death death and resurrection of Christ was the price of a mission into this kingdom. And Jesus is calling for the sons of the Most High now to swear allegiance to this new relationship. Jesus now focuses with laser-like intensity upon his disciples' In case they thought that he had the whole time that he'd been talking to the Pharisees or to other sinners. His sermon has been directed towards those that profess Christ as if they, they who are, to, are the ones who are to live out the new life found in Christ. So as we come to Luke chapter 6, verse 46, we see here, here in the monitor, I hope you, you have your Bibles and you're joining with this. But this first one, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, And not do what I tell you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Father, give us wisdom as we consider this portion of this passage. Father, let us not go through it very quickly, though it's very familiar to us. But Lord, let us take a moment to pause and consider, to pray and respond to the Holy Spirit's word to us this morning. For each of us may hear something different or apply it in a different way. Lord, we pray that you be glorified. All those that are here, this is their appointed time, one in which they will give an account of how they spent this hour. Lord, I pray that you be with me. Let us speak words that are are wise. Let us speak words that are true. Let us know the difference between just my mere opinion. But Lord, from those that are truly your words. And Lord, may you be glorified for our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we come to the end of chapter 6 of Luke, and we in the end of this Sermon of the Plain, Jesus is looking out on the crowd and he wonders, why are you calling me Lord, Lord? Why are you following? Now we know, we've already seen that there many are following him just because they want to hear him teach so they can hear some type of new word. And there are many that are following him because he's healing many, many people. Everyone, it says <coughs> here in Luke chapter 6, that everyone who came to him was healed. That's just a, an amazing thought. Doesn't matter what their ailment was, what their problem was, God was healing it. Jesus was healing it through a touch, through a word. But also they were bringing others who had been suffering through demon possession and Jesus was delivering them one by one. So Jesus looks out in the crowd and says, why are you here? I could ask the same thing. Why are you here from week to week? Why why do you come? Why, Why do you do something different than the world? Why are you not sleeping in, going to the beach? Well, some of that we know that we can't because the government just won't let us do. 
But why are you here? Why do you, why do you call Jesus Lord, Lord? And he says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? It doesn't seem correct. It doesn't seem right. Why do you come to hear me teach and heal? He then goes on to proceed, to share, to instruct and warn how they can know if they truly are a citizen of the kingdom of God. For this is who Jesus is directing his words to, to those who are citizens or those who desire to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And this is important because only that are the only those that are citizens of the kingdom of God are qualified to receive the blessings and the rewards that were found in Luke chapter six. Look at verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who are weak for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So he says, listen, these rewards, these blessings that I've been giving you in this message are only for the citizens of the kingdom of God. Not those who come and intend its meanings and listen to Jesus and even be healed or exercised a demon. That's is what I'm sharing you is those blessings, those eternal blessings are only for the sons of God. And what we see here is even those who are being healed, those who are listening to Jesus, those who are having demons exercised, some of them, many of them will not be citizens of the kingdom of God. The reason for there is they're just wanting what Jesus can do for them. And there's a challenge and warning for you and I today as well. Do you just follow Jesus to get out of it what you want? Or just to fulfill some type of duty or commitment you feel that you have to do for appearance sakes? They call him Lord. This is a term of great respect. They're they're identifying him as their patron, the one who heals, the one who teaches, the one who exercises demons. They want to owe allegiance to it. It's another word for master. They're not acknowledging here his deity. They're not saying that you are Lord. As you and I come this morning, we submit that Jesus is Lord. When it says in Philippians that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord, that's not what they're saying here. They're just saying, hey, you're a patron. We, we respect you. And Jesus just puts it on the head. Well, why do you call me Lord? Why do you respect me? Why do you say you, you owe me allegiance, but yet you do not do what I tell you? Jesus is weaning out the crowd here. It's time to call out those who profess to be disciples, those who are followers in name only, or just giving lip service to being a Christian, or followers in a loose sense. Well, I was born a Christian. My grandma was a Christian. So I'm a Christian, so I just every once in a while go to a Christian church. He's calling them out. He's weeding them out, the sheep from the goats. He proceeds to share how to tell the difference between who is a true citizen and who is a false citizen of the kingdom of God in verse 47. For he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man who building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. 
And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses this illustration to differentiate between the wise and the foolish man. And as usual, Jesus is just using simple illustrations from everyday life and experiences to teach a profound spiritual truth. And so let's not miss it. In this case, he's liking a true citizen of the kingdom of God to one who builds a house that will stand and weather the floods and storms of life. The foundation is Christ. The materials are our acts of obedience. And the flood is the divine judgment that comes through suffering. He identifies the one who builds well as the one who comes to Christ, not only to hear his teachings, but also follow them. He's someone who follows through on what Jesus tells him to do. This is a wise man. But as we continue in verse 49, Jesus describes the foolish man who winds up losing everything because he does not build well. Look at verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them, you see the difference now, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. In Matthew, it says it built it on sand. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of the house was great. Now, we can identify the foolish man, the unregenerate, the fake citizen. Those who are truly Christians by their lack of follow through. Are they loving their wives? Are they submitting to their husbands? Are they kind? Are they forgiving? Are they generous in their forgiveness and in their giving? These are all things that Jesus is saying. Listen, we can tell you who a true citizen is from the fake. I can tell you the difference between one who is wise and who is foolish. Like the wise man, the foolish man hears the words of Christ But he fails to take them to heart and he declines to obey the commands of Scripture. This is the one who is the fake Christian. The one who is not a true citizen. He may claim to be. He may look like one. He may dress like one. He may know all the songs of one. He may have the biggest Bible in the church. But yet he truly isn't a citizen of the kingdom of God. To fail the expectations, and listen to this, to fail the expectations and the inspections of the one who will one day judge or bring all things into judgment. Remember we talked about that last week. With the tree, there's an expectation of, of bearing fruit and there's an inspection of whether or not that fruit is healthy. Scripture clearly defines the character, the trajectory, and the destination of those who reject the word of Christ. You'll see it here on the monitor very clearly. Here's the folly of the fool. We see the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then secondly, he says, well, if there is no God, then there is no final judgment. And if there is no final judgment, then I can live any way I want. Let's keep that up, Ben, if you would, please. Because I want us to think about this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And if there is no God, there is no final judgment. And if there's no final judgment, then I can live any old way that I want to do. By the way, that's the theory and the the, uh, worldview of Darwinism, evolutionism, humanism. I'm my own man. 
Truth resides in me. I can do what I want. And by the way, I just want to warn you, when you talk about political libertarianism, that's very much the same type of mindset in its, in its own, is we all have the freedom to do what we want. You and I need to understand the folly of this type of thinking. However, God will respond to the foolish as he did to the rich man. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. He warns us in 1 Peter 4, for the time is past. It suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, in passions, and drunkenness, and orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And keep that up just for a moment longer. Jesus wants his audience, listen to this. He wants his audience to be perfectly clear. And if you're taking notes, write this down. He wants it to be perfectly clear that confession without obedience is worthless. Confession without obedience is worthless. It's like a man who says, I love you. I love my wife. I love my spouse. But yet he goes chasing after other women. It's worthless, that confession. And Jesus is saying, there are some of you that are foolish. You're calling me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I ask. He is echoing the words of John the Baptist who warned the Pharisees earlier, bear fruits in keeping with your repentance. Theologian uh, Joel Green questions, how can they speak of an allegiance to God and then not grant it? It's like going up and say as a citizen, I swear to do this to uphold my oath. But then when they call you to war, you say, well, not me. Not me. No, no, sorry. No, I'm a Christian. Well, hey, we're going to go out and pass some door hangers in the neighborhood. Well, not me. I'm not doing that. Love my wife. (laughs) You don't know my wife. Well, I did create her. I've wired her the way it is. I gave her to you. I think I do. As fruit inspectors, we are to expect certain attitudes and behaviors from those that profess to be Christians. So listen to this. But there are those that profess to be Christians today that live their lives by the fool's creed. There are Christians today, people who profess to be Christians, but they live their life as if there is no God and there is no final judgment in which he will stand and judge them and they can live any way they want that's the state of many churches and believers today I'm not saying that's you this is here where I want to encourage you would you take a moment to pause and consider does your life show an allegiance is Jesus Lord in name only in lip service only or does he truly have your allegiance in your heart The way that you live demonstrates that allegiance. J.C. Rowell, a British pastor from the 19th century, writes of the six marks of regeneration. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. How can one know that I've been born again, that I need to have a new heart? Because again, that's that's the key, right? I can only be a citizen of the kingdom of God and I can only do good things that please God if my heart has been changed, right? So how do I know if my heart's been changed? He's got that, you're so quick. Well, it's these, these, these six things. A regenerate man does not commit sin as a habit. Now, it doesn't mean that you, can, that, that you never sin. I mean, we know that that's not a possibility. But it's not a habit. 
you're not rejecting God's commands as a matter of practice. He believes that Jesus Christ is the only savior. He's a holy man. He, he seeks to please God. They have a special love for all true disciples of Christ. They love one another. They use their spiritual gifts for one another. They don't make the, the world's opinion his rule of right and wrong. In other words, we have to stand against much of what the world is. And I'm telling you, on January 20th, we're, we're going to have a presidency and, 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 and a cabinet that is going to be very anti-Christian in many of the things as we continue to go. But our, our standard of right and wrong is not the world's standard. It's scripture. And not only that, a regenerate man is very careful of his own soul. Using that scripture from last week, he guards his heart. I pray that this describes you and your spouse, your children. Be praying for them, that God will call them. You see, there's no such thing as a nominal Christian. You might have heard this, a carnal Christian, a nominal Christian, one who is in, a Christian in name only. There's no such thing as a nominal Christian in the kingdom of God. J.C. Ryle, again, warns his, his congregation in his time. He says this, There is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have and think they have enough. Now, when did he write? In the 19th century. In the 1800s. He died in 1901. He says there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, 200 years ago, which many have and think they have enough. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. That's the allegiance and the oath that many who profess Christ are holding on to. And you and I must Look within our hearts. Is this my allegiance? Is this my oath? My concern for us today is the same as Christ was for his audience. That there may be some here this morning that listen to my voice or maybe watch me later through Facebook or YouTube or some podcast in which you profess Christ, you perform the rituals, going to church, tithing, so on and so forth, that you're appearing to be regenerated but you are either deceived or actively deceiving others of your true heart. It's a concern here. It's what Jesus is warning against. You and I must understand, and I believe this is on here too, if you're taking notes, it's on the monitor. The believer is called to an inward renewal and outward acts of obedience. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has ordained before that we would do them. So a believer is called not only to an inward renewal in which our mind is changed, our attitudes are changed. Remember we talked about that several weeks ago, an attitude adjustment, but it's also that our behavior is changed, our outward acts of obedience. The problem is, and you might recall this from last week or two weeks ago, is that many of us in our parenting and in our lives are trying to just do the second one. Just behavioral modification, right? With no inward renewal. But then you have those who will say, well, I am a Christian, but yet there's no renewal in the way they think, the way they act, the things they do. 
And Jesus says you can't have one without the other. To do what, to try to do outward acts of obedience, behavior modification, without an attitude of judgment, is just folly. It's just works righteousness. It's self-righteousness that are like filthy rags. But then an inward renewal without outward acts of obedience, James says, is folly, right? Show me your work. Show me your faith. I'll show you my works. I'll show you my works and I'll show you my faith. That's really what James is saying there. There is no uh, contradictory thing going on with Jesus and Peter and Paul and James. They're all together. Scripture calls us to inspect our hearts with an expectation that our attitudes and behavior will be different than those of the world. In both the Old and the New Testament, we read in Lamentations, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. In 2 Corinthians, he says to examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, speaking of that inward renewal, unless you indeed fail to meet the test. What's the test? Is do you do the things that I call you to do? We must commit to performing this inspection each and every day of our lives. We must be vigilant and diligent, engaging our thoughts and conduct through the lens of Scripture, which is profitable to teach us what is right and what is wrong, to tell us how to respond when we fall and we will fail, and to teach us the way everlasting. In Hebrews 4.12, we read that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's the thing. Many times you and I are deceived ourselves that we think that we are true citizens of the kingdom of God, but yet we're not. But that's where scripture is so important, for it cuts through all of that noise. It helps us see the natural man and who we truly are. Like the naturalized citizen of the United States, how he takes an oath of allegiance, renouncing any and all form of allegiance, you and I are commanded to do the same as citizens of the kingdom of God. You and I are called to support the Bible as God's revealed word to his children. We're to renounce all allegiance and fidelity to our former way of living. We're to support and defend our fellow believers against Satan and his demons, uh, encourage one another, lift one another up, bear one another's burdens. We're to bear true faith and allegiance to God, the Almighty Creator. And we're to fulfill the Great Commission with the heart of the Great Commandments. This is the oath. It's not exclusive, but it's a good start. Are these the things that you're doing, not just proclaiming Christ, but are you performing as a Christian? In summary of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, he teaches that the true sons of God, the citizens of the kingdom of God, will receive blessings and escape divine judgment. And that's where you and I want, right? Here are the blessings of a citizen of the kingdom of God. You receive great rewards, great blessings, and you escape divine judgment. Theologian Daryl Block writes that the product of our life reflects the heart's true nature. And so again, you and I need to look at the product of our life, not the worst moment of our life, as we spoke about last year, but the product, the full uh, 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 observation of our life. Is our life marked by holiness, by fighting sin? 
Yes, we may lose a battle here and there, but we are fighting it. Jesus is telling us that obedience is the fruit of a new regenerated heart. And you and I are to spend our lives in building, strengthening, and developing our attitudes and behaviors to that of our Father in heaven. Hence why he says, we're building. Did you read when we read? Did you see that was building, not built? But we're building. We dug a foundation. It's deep. It's secure. But then we're building onto that. Hence why I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because I want to take that illustration just a little bit farther. For Paul takes that illustration of Jesus and he builds upon it, so to speak, to help us understand about what does it mean to be a Christian and to be obedient to Christ, to receive blessings and escape divine judgment. And we're going to take the rest of the time our morning with a word of encouragement and warning that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 9. Paul writes to the Christians at the church of Corinth. He says this, verse 9 of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. I hope you're there. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, I do want you to understand this as we go into this. Now, the context of this passage is particularly about the church and the responsibility of the elders, the deacons, and the leaders to be faithful ministers of God in building up the body of Christ. So when you look at Randy and and, and, uh, Landon and I, one of the things is he's given us to build up this body of believers. However, I believe that this can still apply to the individual Christian. So we're taking it in its main context. And by the way, if you'd like to see that, uh, you can go to our website or to our podcast, Walking in Faith, iTunes, all different types of ones. Uh, Walking in Faith with Rob Currington. You can find these messages in 1 Corinthians if you'd like to see the whole series. The Apostle Paul calls us to be a skilled master builders. As a man who is building a building, a skilled master building, who builds on the foundation. Now, the spiritual truth is found in verse 10. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So God has given us a responsibility to build on the foundation. And we're to take care of what we build on it. Since we are the church and are God's temple, we must be careful with the materials that we are using to build upon the foundation. In verse 11, we read, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is already laid, Jesus Christ. Now, as I already pointed out many times from this pulpit, the gospel, Christ crucified, is the foundation. We find this in many portions of Scripture whether it's Paul who will say in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, I delivered unto you what is first importance, that Christ died, he was resurrected uh, and resurrected uh, once again. But we also see it in Matthew 16. Jesus proclaimed to Peter that he would build his church upon Peter's statement that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock, now it's not talking about Peter, Peter means little pebble, he's saying Petra, rock, this stone, this statement that you said that I am the son of God, this is the statement, I'm going to build upon that foundation. So that's it. Lord, Lord, not that you're just my patron, but you are my master, that you are the Adonai, 
that you are the almighty God, son of God. That's what you and I's foundation, our oath is built upon. So now we go and build upon that. And once you and I have this foundation through our repentance and our trust, that God has accepted the works of Christ on our behalf, we now cooperate with the Spirit's work of sanctification in our lives. And you and I know this. Salvation is a work of God, only of God. He calls us, he predestined us, he knew us, and he brings us to himself. But then sanctification is that process which we become more like Christ. We become more like him. And we cooperate. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives, bringing things to our lives, the suffering, the storms, the good things, the bad things. These things are to test our character and to strengthen strengthen our character and to draw us to God. Okay? So that's sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ. In verse 12, Paul continues. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Now, I used to use this with, uh, when I used to teach this with the teens, I used to use the three little pigs. You can kind of think of that. So if anyone builds on this foundation, speaking of a Christian, this is a Christian, because remember, who can, only, only those who are Christians can have the foundation. So you have the foundation, you build with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will be made manifest or be made known for the day will disclose it. What's that day? It's the day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has been built in the foundation survives, he will receive a reward, a blessing. Now, what we see from that real quickly, number one, there are different types of material used. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and wood, hay, and straw. Now, it's going to be tested by what? Fire. What's going to happen to wood, hay, and stubble when it's, when it's, when it's burned up? It's just going to be burned up. It's going to be ashes. What's going to happen to gold and precious jewels and, and, and silver? It's going to be refined. It's going to be purified. It's still be, it may be in a different form, right, in a different shape, but it will be able to be used. It will be purified. So there are different types of materials used. And remember, what did we say the materials were? Obedience. Obedience to God's word. The quality of the materials will be tested at the day of judgment. So one day the Christian will stand before God. This is what we call the Bema seat. This is what we find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, one day you and I will be judged. And he is going to be judging on how well we built our house. We built our life. And on that day, only that which is eternal will last. The rest will be burned up by fire. Paul ends with both a warning and a promise in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at it. He says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So one day you and I are going to stand before God and we are going to build with with precious jewels, gold and silver. Those are the things in which we are obedient to God's word. I loved my wife. I was generous. I, I was not judgmental and condemn, condemning others. The wood, hay and stubble. That's our acts of disobedience. Whether by omission or commission. The things that we did, uh, did not do that we were supposed to do. To him who knows uh, to do good and does it not, it is sin. 
So he's going to take all the acts that we've done and that's built this, this house, so to speak, this metaphorical house. And what we know is what will happen. The purpose of the fire is important here. The purpose of the fire is not to punish, destroy, but to refine, to disclose the quality of the work of Christians. So all it's going to do is, do is expose what our hearts and our attitudes have done. There will not, listen, this is important, there is not a loss of salvation here, but a loss of reward, the praise of God. And many of you say, well, what are the rewards? Well, in scripture, you'll see that there's five crowns, and I believe that's salvation. That's, that's life eternal. That is never at, at, at pearl. That's an inheritance kept in heaven for us, scripture tells us. He tells us he's gone to make us a home. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but yet it's the praise of God. Reward is based on our fidelity to the gospel. So Jesus says, how do you receive those rewards? It's by your obedience to the words that I've given you, which we find where? But in scripture. What those rewards are, he does not give us exactly. When we talk about those five, or maybe it's seven crowns, I believe all those crowns are the same. It's the crown of salvation, crown of righteousness, the crown of, I think there's different types of crowns or way he explains it. But yet we see is the same way as the talents. One, one, we see the parable of the talents. To the one who did much, much was given. To those who did little, little was given. And you and I must understand that. But yet there is joy. And our joy will not be diminished in heaven, but our praises, our rewards will be in some form or fashion. Now, to be honest, this side of heaven, we can't really answer how that will look. Because I'll tell you what, if it, it winds up being that I get a smaller house in heaven and I'm the garbage collector riding the golden streets, I will still have complete joy as the one who would sit next to Christ. There's no diminish of that. I'm not saying that's what we're doing, but I'm just saying that that, that would be the case. Paul's prayer to the church of Philippi was that speaking to the churches that your love may be abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise. So what are those good materials that you and I use for building so that we may receive the blessings of being satisfied, of being comforted, of having gladness? What are the fruits of rightness that brings these rewards? Well, we find them in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Surrender all your rights to retaliation, revenge, and reparation. Reject judgmental and condemning spirits. Embrace generous forgiveness. Instead, you and I are to imitate the Father as sons of the Most High God. That's how you and I build our rewards, the praise of God in our lives. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Let our oath be much greater than that. Let our yea be yea and our nay be nay. Let us say, if we are Christians, let us show it by our works, by our obedience. Now I want to just give you three things that you can do very quickly. How can I build upon that? 
How can I, I show that my confession is truly genuine? That I'm not a nominal Christian. That I'm not just paying lip service. Well, number one, follow the architect in the blueprint of God. Follow the architect in the blueprint. That's the God in the gospel. scripture. God is a plan. Follow it. Number two, be a faithful contractor. Work continually. Train enough so that you're skilled, that you're developing the skills that God has given you. Wisdom, discernment, uh, using your spiritual gifts. And do not deal fraudulently. Just like any contractor, you don't want them to be lying and dealing deceitfully. Be true to yourself, so to speak. Not in some self-motivating way, but look at the word of God and be honest with yourself. Number three, do not build carelessly, but build with good materials. Exceptional quality versus inferior quality. That's either doing the works of Christ or rejecting the works or the the words of Christ. Make them durable versus non-durable. And let me tell you, there are going to be times that you're going to blow it. You're going to yell at your kids and your wife, your husband. You're going to have thoughts in which you're just going to follow your own dreams and aspirations. That's the inferior quality. That's the non-durable. But let not make those moments last much longer than they need to. Quickly, ask for forgiveness. Confess. Come back to Christ. Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. You see it here on the monitor. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in, your Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Another scripture that just came to mind says, be not weary in doing good. Obeying Christ is difficult. Following his commands is difficult. But for one who is a citizen of the kingdom of God, that is the oath. That is the allegiance we owe to him. I'd like to leave you with three quotes from some men who have either run their race or in the midst of running the race. They are serving God in their generation. They have been an encouragement to to me. The first one is a warning, while the other two are words of encouragement. The first one is from Pastor Vody Bauckham, Jr. He says, the modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they do not know very well. He's a pastor today if you can go on YouTube and Google him watch any and everything that you can any of his messages read any of his books his blogs and I believe that he is correct the modern church is producing passionate people they're passionate for the laws or not not, maybe they are passionate for the laws but mainly passionate to do good works but yet their heads are empty they love Jesus but they don't know him very well We are guilty of crying, Lord, Lord, without truly knowing God and understanding his claim upon our lives. That's why he says, count the cost. It's more than just asking Jesus into your heart. It's more than just praying the sinner's prayer. It's counting the cost and saying, it is worth it. That this pearl is of great price and it's worth everything that I own to sell and to acquire it. You and I must commit to reading and meditating on God's word, ready to serve him at all times. Let us not be just passionate for God, but let us know him. And let me tell you, that's why I love our ACC right now, our adult core class. We are getting to know God and his attributes in a way that many of us have never understood. And that will drive the passion 
for Christ. But yeah, you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm professing to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I, I'm just struggling in my life. I'm failing. I find myself struggling with temptation. And to be honest, I'm wondering if I'm, I'm doubting my salvation because it seems like I am having some problems in my life with sin. And it almost is becoming a habit. Well, I don't want you to despair. Instead, I want you to look at these words of Paul Washer, who notes that even the most mature saint will struggle against worldliness and apathy towards God. You have been there. You might be there right now. He goes on to say, there is no sincere Christian who does not lament his or spiritual moral failures. Yet this lamenting is one evidence of conversion. The unregenerate are unconcerned about such things. Now I say that to encourage you, if you are feeling guilt of your sin, if you're feeling a, 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 a grief, then that's probably pointing you through the Holy Spirit to Christ. Go to Christ. Let us remember that you and I are not fully sanctified, that you and I are still waiting God's final step of salvation. That's glorification. John Newton wrote here, it sees, you see it here on the screen. He writes, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? I pray that you are. Have you taken that oath? Jesus is Lord. If so, it should be demonstrated very clearly by your attitude, the way you think, and by your actions, your behavior. Your family, your wife should see it. Your husband should see it, your children. Your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your co-workers, your family. They should be able to say, he's different. Let's you and I pledge allegiance to the one true and living God this morning, would you? Who has created all things and has redeemed us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And who has sent the Holy Spirit that you and I may become the sons of God and citizens of a kingdom that is eternal. Amen. The worship team will come on up, Randy. If you go ahead and can come on up and be ready to pray. I'm just going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Just take a moment to pause <clears throat> and consider what I've shared with you this morning. I might have said too much. I might have said too little. But what I've said is what God has ordained at this moment. Enough for you and I to consider his word and to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit's calling you to this morning. I pray that your oath would not be in vain, but that you truly are a citizen of the kingdom of God, a child of God. If not, if you are not sure, would you please see me, Randy, Lannon, any of these gentlemen here, these ladies, we would love to share with you how you too can know that you stand as a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you're here and you're struggling in your Christian walk, do not despair. You're not to walk alone. We're building a community here in which we are journeying together. Then I pray today that you would just follow the Lord, Lord's command. 
Confession or profession without, uh, without obedience is worthless. Let us not our lives be in that. Randy, would you come and pray for us? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.